Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. To mark the Shambles Pat Kinnivan trilogy at the Peacock, I've pulled this talk from the archives of 2012, in which theatre maker Pat Kinnivan talks with actor Alwyn Fiore about Silent, written and performed by Pat. They talk about the origins of the piece, the luxury of time, the process of writing and development with Fishamble, the new play company. Pat talks to Alwyn about counting blessings and breaking silence, of belonging, of vulnerability, of splendid things and making sense of your own story. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome to everybody. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Scarlett, interviewing my great friend, Pat Kinnavan, and I'm, I think I must be... Well, one of his millions of greatest fans. Um, I've always admired him, loved his work, loved him as a person, and uh, for me, he's genius Renaissance man. So it's going to be a bit of a love-in, probably. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I just wanted to talk to Pat about Silent, because that's what the point of tonight really is, and ask, how did you begin what was the germ of the piece of Silent? It's been on the road for about a year and a half now, and it's toured to many different countries, won millions of awards. But how? what was the germ? Thank you very much, Alwyn, and thanks, everyone, for coming in today in the rain. It's a, I know it's a really shitty day out there, so thank you so much. And uh, we'll do the loving thing later on because you know how, how much I think of you and how much I respect you and um, adore everything you do. You're quite an inspiration to so many people. And um, I'm genuinely shocked that you're here today talking to me because <laughs> it should be the other way around. I should be just asking you the questions, but we'll do, uh, try and organise that. Um, the... Thanks for your question, Alwyn. The whole idea of silent um, came to me. Can you hear me there if I go back like that? Is that all right? Yeah. Um, I was actually, um, I went to New York City in, in about 2008, and we went over to do a presentation of um, the, the sister piece to this, which is called Forgotten. And we were presenting it to uh, producers and that over there. And it was my first time in New York, and I was really um, unimpressed by it, and I didn't know why. And I kind of was saying, why do I feel so like underwhelmed by New York? I thought it was going to blow my head off. And then I realized that it was because I saw a lot of dispossession over there. Do you know what I mean? I saw so many homeless people, and I spent most of my time, Alwyn, kind of walking up to them and, and, and sitting down on the pavement and talking to them and hearing their stories and stuff. And the more I did that, the more I kind of, I know it was kind of, in a way, it was kind of, it was dangerous, but I was kind of, I found myself been attracted to it. Do you know what I mean? That I, I wanted to find out why people were there. And then when I came back to Dublin, um, and I was never really aware of it before in Dublin, but when I came back to Dublin, I felt even more mm. aware of it. Mm. It was like as if somebody kind of had had taken away a kind of a, 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 the polarised part of it, and I could see. Mm. And, and I remember thinking, Christ, that's awful. And then I had worked as well in mental health. When I left school first, I, I had worked and partly trained, not fully, but partly trained as a psychiatric nurse. And I left that. I was too young for it, you know, it, it was it was um it was heavy gone. 
and I always wanted to write about that as well. So I kind of the two the, the whole idea of the the kind of catch twenty two of being homeless and having mental illness are both uh, kind of fascinated me. So that's that that was the germ of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you the connection of mental health and homelessness as well. But it, it's what you say about the homelessness is it's so true. I mean, I remember um, when I went over to work in London first in um, the early 90s and there were people in every doorway. I used to walk home passing by all these people in every door and then there'd be a whole encampment outside Westminster Church. Mostly Irish, actually, they were that encampment. And I remember saying, this had never happened in Ireland because there were no homeless people in Ireland before that. They really, I mean, you know, there were, there were people on the street, but you just didn't see people sleeping in doorways. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that that has happened in that short span of time. I think it's a wonderful thing that that Pat took this subject on. Well, I mean, so, I, I think, you know, you're, you're right, because it happened so fast, Alwyn, as well, mm-hmm. that why am I doing this with the mic? Stop it. Um, <laughs> terrible, because we're not used to microphones. I know, yeah. See, that's what it is. <laughs> we'll, Pulling back we'll, from the mic. We'll, we'll sing, sing a song, a song later. In a minute, right? <laughs> it sounds like Midnight at the Olympia, isn't it? It's mad. Alwyn Fuer, yeah. Guests, guests, yeah, brings on Christy Moore. You'd be brilliant with Christy Moore, actually. You'd be fantastic. Because you could sing and dance in the background and everything. It'd be brilliant. And sing in French. But, um, you, know, you know, what's really weird about it was the whole idea of, uh, of the reasons. Like, I, I found I was very prejudiced about it. And I still mm. am. I'm still trying to find out stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I'm learning every day about why people, why, everyone's story is completely different. Do you know what I mean? What, what, how they end up homeless and how they end up, other people would say, making the streets their home. Do you know what I mean? But it's, it's so unique to everybody because everyone's novel is different, you know? And how open were they, the, the people you spoke to, to um, telling you their story? For, most, for the most part, people are, were very open because I think for the most part, and it, maybe it's not a selfish thing, it's just a feeling of, you know, that, that some, for some reason, a feeling, uh, uh, this is only my own head, but like your, your, your feeling of belonging really depends on being able to communicate your story to somebody else. And I think they just wanted to talk. Mm-hmm. I think they just wanted to talk to somebody and tell, maybe, maybe, maybe in some way, you know, the way sometimes you talk through something and you make sense of it, you know, your problems, mm-hmm. maybe that's what it was, you know, but I found, I found them really, really willing to talk and yeah, yeah. Uh, and willing to open up yeah and go go fast to the, the, the core of it and in their stories were, were in general i mean i know the few homeless people i've spoken to would talk about just how it's the tiniest turn that makes them ends up they've end up on the street you know they might be living in a flat and have a job one week and then a week later they're on the street some combination of events happens and then it's an incredibly difficult cycle to get out of. Mm-hmm. Was that a common thing? Is that what were, were many of them just like suddenly on the street or was it a gradual process for... It, 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 it's a really good question. Some of them were, were really, really gradual and some of them uh, events, uh, I suppose when we have events that turn quickly and the roof is still over us, mm-hmm. you feel safer in that in that uh, in that crisis, in that mm-hmm. mini crisis in your life, but when w- w- a lot of it was, uh, a lot of the stories I heard were were stories of you know when there was a natural crisis in your life, like we all have, uh, uh, you know, mini ones, bigger ones. The lack of a roof makes it even more profound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know yourself when you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, or maybe I'm the other one who wakes up at four o'clock in the morning. You wake up and something is bothering you, like a bill or something like that, and it's actually magnified. 
and I remember going into that and kind of doing a little bit of research in it, and I think it comes from that, that kind of animal Mm-hmm. Uh, vulnerability where you are naturally homeless where you're na- are naturally out in the open and that fear of the predator at four o'clock in the morning when you're at your most vulnerable when you're asleep that's where that uh, really c- captured me the whole idea of, uh, of of somebody who's homeless that their crises are is that the right word mm-hmm. uh, are, are they're doubled yeah do you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah. And, and, and terror like absolute terror yeah and then, to what extent, I'm just really curious about this, to what extent would some of them, or, or, or any of the ones you spoke to, actually have, have chosen it as a kind of an escape from a life that you know, their families, or a life that was incredibly, uh, that they felt imprisoned by? Mm-hmm. Would it, did any of them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know, I'm, Jesus, I, I preface it by saying, I'm, like, I'm no expert at all. I'm still mm-hmm. like meeting people and, and talking to care, you know, people who, who care, uh, you know, in the Simon community and, and, and the Samaritans all the time talking to them. And, you know, and they're, they're finding out new stories as they go along as well. But certainly, yeah, uh, the, uh, there's almost like um, an emancipation sometimes in a strange way, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of like getting rid of all of the, the you know, uh, the rest of the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That your people feel isolated, but at the same time, it's a kind of a, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, which is maybe, maybe that comes out of I don't know. Maybe it comes out of being feeling that you're left behind or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, what I love is the the choice of the title as well, Silent, because for me, it so much seems to say to me, apart from the silent movies and all the other references, but about a voices or people who are silenced, yes. who have been silenced, and therefore, um, you know, they're silenced maybe because they're on the street, but maybe they've also been silenced and choose to go on the street. Yes. That they have, there's no, it's like there's no channel for this whatever energy. I mean, I love about, in, in this piece that you'll see tonight, the fact that Patino chooses, has this extraordinary reality going on, which has absolutely every right to exist in this reality, in the reality yes. of the Valentino and all of that, all that, all that wonderful, it's a, it's a, a, a wonderful, an extraordinary world he's created around himself. Um, and uh, it's a reality that he has absolute right to choose and to exist mm-hmm. within. But very often within the society we live, we're not allowed to live like that or we're not allowed to think like that. Which mm-hmm. kind of brings me on to the whole thing of mental health as well. Is that I mean, you know, we, there's no, there's no. For me, there's no denying the fact that mental health is an, is an illness. Um, you know that there is mental health and there is mental ill health, but there is also a whole grey area in between where I think uh, people have a particular reality that they understand and live within, but somehow it's not acceptable within our society. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think. Um, Pat treads so fascinating in this piece, this reality which is completely valid and yet for other people it's just somebody that they throw a coin to and would think that he's crazy. I mean when you look at, it it must be really interesting from somebody who is wet and you know sleeping on cardboard, we'll say near the Westbury and they see somebody go by every day who is in the in a, on a nine to five kind of treadmill, and they see that person who is very concerned about their hair mm-hmm. or about their suit, 
if you know what I mean? And, and they must see that and go, or maybe they don't, but I'm sure that some of them, it's the antithesis of caring and not caring, but also of maybe they could, they could misinterpret that as OCD. Mm. That that person is, you're yeah. fucking mad. You were, you know what I mean? Exactly. I, you know, I, I, I'm not doing that. I'm mm. not worried about what kind of car I drive, or I'm not worried about, uh, you know, what restaurants I go to, and do I go to the national concert hall? Do you know, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing against the national concert yeah, yeah. hall, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's their their world, their reality is mm. is, and it's rarely talked about actually. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That. That they, they, the dignity a, is there, like there yeah, has to yeah. be. There's dignity at all costs, isn't there? Yeah, and we live in, we live in this completely pre- prescribed reality, actually. And if you don't fit into the prescription, then you're you're a bit mad. And this is what I love about what you've done with Tino, is that you, you he celebrates you celebrate his life, you celebrate his his reality, you celebrate his wonderful. I hope so. Fantasies. You know, it, it's mad, Alwyn, because like when I started writing this, uh, and halfway through it. Um, I just said, oh, this is, honestly, I, I remember in the kitchen when I gone, I'm like, I can't fucking finish, sorry, I can't finish this, this is, you know, like you just lose, you really lose your, your, uh, your belief in whatever you're doing, and that's why I'm very, very like, I'm very, very, very thankful, Alwyn, and you know that from being my friend as well about everything else, but I'm, I really, more and more each day, I become more grateful, and thankful for everything and particularly the work at the moment that that it's that we we, we got to an end and and that Jim Cullerton you know you know Jim as well he's an extraordinary man he's he's one of the most caring and nurturing directors you could ever ever encounter or artists that you can encounter he's he's amazing to be with on a journey like that because he will not leave you abandoned and he will nurture you and I think People, we need looking after, you know what I mean? You need to be nurtured, you need to be told, it's, you're okay, go on, go on, go on, you're grand, go yeah. on, keep going with that, and, yeah. and someone to bring you in, and, and you know yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I am so, so grateful for that. I mean, I can't even express how grateful I am for that. What, how, how does your relationship with the fish amble evolve? I mean, what I, what I, what I do really appreciate in, in the work you've done with Jim is the fact that I see Pat's work as an artist being completely uh, supported as you say it, it's it's fascinating to see that you know pat's not coming in and writing a play and playing a part he's actually you know on a whole journey which is being supported through fish Amble. so i'm kind of interested to see how that works in the traditional structure of d- director writer performer all that kind of stuff and jim was really open to this at the start and it's a big risk to take you know what i mean but we decided we were going to throw structure out the window do you know what i mean we're going to throw everything out and start with a different structure and and just try and find a different way of working and not put pressure on ourselves to be ready for an opening night do you know what i mean not put pressure on ourselves to uh, to have to preview on a certain date or have to open on a certain date to, to kind of let the work uh, good or bad to let the work give it time and space and leave it mm. you know what i mean like silent took the best part of two and a half years to to get on stage and forgotten was 
about about two years, yeah, two two years. And so, how would it start? Would you you talk to Jim and say, "I have this idea," or you'd have already written the script or part of it? Or yeah, uh, you yeah. could have had an idea scribbled down on bits of paper, really, yeah. and say, "Look, what you think of this?" And he's going, "Yeah, yeah, that's. I think you that sounds really good. Come on, yeah. you know." And then throw him a few bits of paper, maybe three or four pages of it. And you go, "Yeah, keep going with that," and come back to me. So I'm at the stage now. Where I'm working on a new piece, for example, at the moment, and I'm at about. About, I've got about 150 copybooks all over the place with bits written in each, and you know, and I'm going to have to put them together and go to them with a few pages soon. And then, how often would you would you meet up just to have these kind of brainstorming Again, sessions? Again, it, it was really open, you open, know, yeah. because between work and and. And and, and 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 thank God for the work between that and and families and everything else. Mm. I can't, you know what I mean. I I'm useless like that with with routine. And uh, and so so when you finally got down to the staging, was that in a broken up kind of way as well? Yeah, it yeah. was broken yeah. up, but there was there was a kind of an, a, a rough structure to mm. let's try and meet at least three days a week here, or okay, three okay. afternoons a week or something like that. So, yeah. and um, which is brilliant brilliant way of working. Because it's like a, a organic, very organic way of working instead of the okay and four weeks and we open. But as <laughs> you know yourself, way, normal like, way of doing it. Your day informs your your night, and your yeah, day informs yeah. your work. And mm. and you know some days you go in and you be full of the joys of spring, and other days then you're, you know, you're hurting about something or whatever, and then mm. something something kind of mad comes out. Mm. So. Um, and I think I always think as well that it's when you're when you're making a piece that it's not. Like people always say, we need more rehearsals. Well, yeah, we 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 do. But what when when I'm talking about like when you're doing a big show like upstairs, whatever. But but actually, what you need more is time span of time. Yes. You know, the three days a week spread out over six months or a year is far more effective than those you know days packed into say two months or something like that yeah I think I, it's a great model to work with well you know that inside out do you know what i mean you've always given yourself space like that and 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 that's why it's just amazing one other thing i wanted to ask you because uh, if you don't mind me asking you this because I, I i have another good friend who had a he had a kind of manic episode you know he's sort of bipolar and he had a manic episode and uh, i was asking him to tell me all about it because Everything he told me about it, I found hilariously funny. <laughs> it was really That's cruel. Right. But you have to laugh. You do have to laugh. <laughs> and uh, the one that really made me laugh was when he said, uh, he, uh, his French lives in Paris, and uh, he said when he was picked up by the cops finally, when they found him on the street, and he wasn't on the streets, but they found him on the street, and he was in a strange state, and uh, they put him in the, into the van, and he started singing the Marseillaise, but all the cops joined in. <laughs> 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 they were bringing him to the hospital. <laughs> and then he said there was another one when he, he remembers running down the Tuileries Gardens thinking he was a horse. And I thought, but that's completely valid. That's all in our DNA, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's something like you do, actually, yeah. run, run down Grafton Street. Fantastic. Um, it's in terms of the, the, the Rudolph Valentino, which is, was that part, was that a, a Kinavan kind of dream or did it how did it come about and connect with homeless well i tell you i, I was always kind of fascinated with with silent movies and all black and white movies and that but particularly the, the silent movies because um I, I just loved the whole uh, expression without words you know what i mean and uh, just the body and and um and that was one thing that was one kind of grad that i had and then 
I read, uh, there was a book in our house, um, and it was introduced to the house by no other than Frank McGuinness had given it as a gift. And it was a book, uh, it was on the life of Valentino, and it was sitting on the shelf for a few years, and I was looking at it going, I'm going to read that. And then I started reading it, and I was like, bang, like, you know, I, I knew, knew bits and pieces about him, but I didn't really know how much of a huge, huge uh, star he was. There are, in fact, there is nobody has ever topped him. You know what I mean? Nobody, you know, he, his worldwide fame was incredible and, and, and his, his death at 31 was just shocking and, and it was the first time that it was kind of mass media, kind of crazy panic. And, um, and I just, I was really fascinated by this and I thought, I remember thinking at one stage, oh, I'd love to write a one-man show, but we were Valentina, and I thought, no, I am not. I'm not classically good-looking. I think I you look like him. No, I couldn't. I couldn't play it. I'd be scarlet, because they'd be saying, why didn't they get somebody really, really gorgeous to play? Why did they get that fucking idiot? So, so I thought, how could I do it? Could I do it with a mask? You know, could I do blah, blah, blah. And then... Um, in, I, I kind of I wanted to incorporate the whole sort that sort of awe mm -hmm. into this piece in some way, shape, or other. And I, and I was very, very lucky to be funded by the Arts Council at one stage in a bursary to develop the idea. And I, I was determined to finish it from the point of view is that I had I, I wanted to thank the Arts Council, you know, for, mm -hmm. for believing in me. Yeah, to, yeah. You know what I mean? And I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I have to, even though there was no there was no deadline put on me. Like there was space given to me, yeah. and I said, "Right, I'm going to do this. I have to do this." Yeah, so yeah. I kept working on it all the time, and actually, that gave me time to think. Yes, really important. The bursaries are brilliant. Lo it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. It gave me loads of time to think. I was able to go on do daily things, and that, but I was able to read. I was able to do stuff, and I'm a slow reader. I'm, I'm very slow reader, and slightly dyslexic when it comes to when I get tired and stuff. So. Anyway, between the uh, jigs and the reels, I got it. I I went. It 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 kind of incorporated itself into silent into my head, and uh, uh, instead of it being my grow, it became Tino's grandmother's grow. So it's that's that's how it comes in. That she was fascinated by yeah yeah by Rudolf Valentino. Brilliant combin uh, marriage of the two. And so, do you know the moment when the whole idea of the homeless and and Valentino came together, you know, the um, actual moment, the eureka moment. Or I remember thinking, oh wow, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to tell, you know, some of his story uh, in a silent movie-esque way. The, the, the homeless story, yeah. yeah in and movie, yes. also, I wanted to kind of counterbalance, oh, this sounds really yeah. strange, but I wanted to counterbalance really like the street and the glamour of, yeah, yeah, of that's what's Hollywood, brilliant. you know what I mean? The two different things, so that you'd have this, mm. uh, especially the mother character in it who believes that she's amazing and beautiful. Um, so she thinks she's in a silent movie all the time, do you know what I mean? So No, I, th I think that's a, well, that for me was such a great choice because it, it, you know, it didn't become a, a polemic or anything like that about homelessness, it became about this um, incredible life force you know, through that language, so. through that, through that beautiful filmic language, it gives it gives him it gives him another voice, not just words. It gives him yeah, a voice, a different voice. I hope, a, I hope, a, anyway, a voice of kind of celebration and and um, hope, really. You know, huge amount of like he, life just gives him life. Well, you know, um, I know you're force. very like the, for the first time I worked with you was in 1993. That's um, 19 years ago, and uh, we, we did um, Salome together. Yeah. And I, I was, I, I was so in awe of your work before that. But I always knew that. I remember 
I always knew that you were you're a very grateful person. You're very, you're full of gratitude and full of grace like that. But um I'm going to tell him the ferocious story. <laughs> I, the album was inside in the, the, the SFX and, and I saw you from a distance because I'd seen you loads of stuff, particularly I'd seen you in the Yates plays that were here. You were fucking amazing in those and, and you did some Beckett lunchtime plays here as well and everything. Mm. Anyway, and I, I was terrified of you. So I went up in the SFX and you were inside, you know the story, you, you were inside in the foyer and I wasn't even, I wasn't, oh, this was before this actually, it was well before, it would have been like 1987 or 88 and you were there and I went up to and I tipped you on the shoulder and I said, sorry, uh, um, you're, I went for aren't you? And you said, yes, you, know, you went like this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you were really French. And I said, I just want to tell you that I, that I think you're, you're, you're brilliant. You're, I really admire your work. And you said, oh, thank you. And then you smiled and you said, oh, thank you very much. Oh, it's lovely to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And I, call, and I went home and I called you Alwyn Ferocious. Ferocious. <laughs> <laughs> and because, but you know, going back to that, it's the grateful thing. I think, you know, it's, it's all very well and good to have a dream to be working like as an actor or a writer or, or, or any, you know, a, a director or anything. Like, but like when, when, you, when things start coming true for you and when you start doing stuff that you really love to do, there's no other way out of it. There's no other way than to count your lucky stars and your blessings around you and that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That we're yeah. so, you have to be so grateful mm -hmm. for every single chance you get. Like, yeah, yeah. And I know you are and I, every day gets stronger for me. Like, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm count my blessings that we're in the world we're working in. Yeah, you know. and we're late, late night at the Olympia. Yeah. <laughs> Which song, though? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We might get a request. We'll from get, one, get a song from a member of the audience, maybe. Just th put it open to a few questions, if anybody wants to ask anything. <laughs>